I just want to kick off with a funny little story before we get into the sermon today. Um, I preached here last year, and, and the video and the introduction was, um, my name's Tim, and my wife Bronwyn and I moved down to Tauranga February last year uh, to take over a role at Christian Education Trust here in Bethlehem, which looks after the college and BTI and some preschools. And I mentioned in that video clip last year that um, uh, when we first moved down, we had these two comments that are directed at us in a loving way. Um, you Aucklanders who moved down, um, you've clogged up our traffic and you've put up our house, house prizes. And so, um, yeah, well, if you own a house, you can clap, sure. <laughs> and so, um, uh, given that backdrop, uh, last weekend, I spoke at a family life marriage conference in Telpo. And the host introduced me, and the same thing I just said to you. Um, but he said at the end, he said, uh, uh, but we won't hold this against him, but he lives in Tauranga. And I thought, I've made it at last. Now I'm being criticised for coming from the Bay of Plenty after 18 months. So um, if you're new, and I spoke to someone new between services today, you've only just moved from wherever, and you're asking the question, how long before I get treated as a local? Apparently, it's about 18 months. There you go. So now you know. Hey, we are in the series from 1 Corinthians called Prodigal Church. And Craig has wonderfully started us off in the last two weeks from 1 Corinthians. And he called it Prodigal Church because he, he's, he's calling, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and calling them back to a right relationship with God. That is why the term prodigal is in there. And uh, he used a great analogy two weeks ago, a great metaphor, about when he was setting us up for the series. He talked about um, packing the car, loading everything into the car, and getting all the, all the luggage and everything ready. And that's what he was doing, introducing us to this wonderful book, uh, and loading up the car. So let me continue that metaphor on today as we keep going through chapter one. Uh, now we're on the car journey. And we're on the car journey of life. But it's interesting, our fellow people in the car are not always like us. We, we as Christians, we have a Hindu person sitting in the front, front seat beside us. We have a secular person in the back seat. We have a Muslim in the back seat as well. And so the car journey of life is made up of all different faith positions that we have to navigate in our neighbourhood as we go through life. And so that is New Zealand, really, for us today. That is what we find ourselves living as Christians today. And I want to use this incredible text, these seven verses that we'll read in a minute. And really, this is the question that I want to throw out there as we're thinking about the text today. How can people be true to themselves and not hide anything and yet still get along? And I guess there's three answers uh, to that question. The first one is this. We can hide who we are as Christians. We can just not talk about it, keep it suppressed. Uh, we don't want to upset anybody in our neighborhood, in our car journey of life. Or we can speak out in such a way that is offensive. And there are Christian people in the past who have offended others in the way they go about sharing their faith. But here's the third way, and I think this is the way that Paul is going to show us today. We learn how to share who we are, but do it in such a way that creates peace and friendship. And I want to suggest to you that that option there is the only one with real integrity that holds out a prospect of hope in the way we have faith discussions in New Zealand today. So this incredible passage, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18, I want us to see how Paul is going to show us how we can do option three, how we can be public in our faith, because he is in a situation, as we'll read, 
that the people think Christianity is foolishness. They don't buy into the concept of Christianity, just like many people in New Zealand today would say the same thing. So let's use the text to understand how we can carry out our faith and share who we are, but do it in a way that creates peace and friendship. Uh, Let's read, I'll read it to you, starting at verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I want us to look at four ways today that we can share our faith with real integrity. I want to give us the background first to the text, and then three simple ideas. How can we share our faith? Why can we do it? and why it works. Now, let me start with the background to the text by telling you a story that I um, went through. Um, I've pastored a church in Auckland, Auckland Bible Church, for 11 years, uh, and only stepped down last February. And uh, one of the things that you will know of people who are full-time in Christian work, they have to be intentional in finding non-church goers to share their faith with. They have to be very deliberate because their workplace is full of lovely Christian people. And so um, I was looking for an opportunity. My daughter uh, came to Bromwell and I and said, uh, I love horses and I want to join the local pony club. So uh, we knew that would cost us many millions of dollars, those of you who have been involved in the pony club, and take all of our time as well. But she wanted to join the local pony club. So uh, I thought, okay, Tim, this is a great opportunity, apart from going bankrupt, it's a great opportunity to actually uh, meet some non-church-going people. And so I prayed about uh, who I could meet and be involved in, and I offered to volunteer in the local pony club in Auckland. Uh, So what happens is that, you know, I'm a qualified accountant, and so I thought maybe I can help with the books, or I've got some leadership experience, maybe I can help sort of um, lead, be involved in leadership in the pony club. But the person who's in charge of the volunteers rang Bronwyn up and said, I've got the perfect job for Tim. Now, my kids tease me because I sometimes say this is a true story, which means that the other stories I tell are not true. But this really is true. They rang me and they rang Bronwyn and said, here's the job we want Tim to do. Uh, In the winter, um, the horses do horse poo all around the paddocks. And you have to spread the horse poo around the paddocks, otherwise the grass grows unevenly. So we've looked at Tim, and we think he is eminently qualified to kick poo around the paddocks at the weekends and spread out the horse dung. This is a true story. And so I got given the job of any time of the weekend that I wanted to, but I had to do it all all the time at the weekends. I, I put my gum boots on, and I literally had to kick poo uphill, all around the paddocks on a Saturday or a Sunday. 
Now, in the middle of winter, these paddocks are not drained very well, so it's the classic where your gumboot gets stuck in the bog, which is what it was, and you lift your gumboot out to start kicking the next mould, a mound rather, and, and uh, your, your foot would come out, so now you're in a sock, sort of hopping, you know, as you're trying to not put your sock into the mud. So I'm doing this and trying to do it to the best of my ability, trying to be a good Christian witness, even though it's the last thing I wanted to do. Well, one weekend I finished my job, it was pouring with rain, and um, Bronwyn gets a phone call that night. Um, Bronwyn, I don't know how to tell you this, but your husband Tim, uh, he did not do a very good job today kicking poo around that paddock. (laughs) This person said, I'm going to need Tim to go back tomorrow and spread it out even further. Now, I went back the next day, and I don't think... Anyone got converted except two horses. (laughs) Because maybe three times I might have said the word Jesus as I was kicking the horse poo around the paddock for the second time. Now, I tell you you that story because that really, really did happen. And um, it was very humbling. But the reason I want to tell you is that my plan for strategizing to share my faith was a bit of a disaster. Paul has a much better plan. And that's what we're going to look at now. Paul um, starts in verse 18, and he says, the message of the cross is foolishness. And then he goes on, and he names a couple of groups of people who consider Christianity foolishness. He says in verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Now, I want to show you why people in Paul's day, just like today, but in a different way, consider Christianity to be foolishness. I was reading recently a book by Luke, and, and, the, and the French scholars here will correct my name, but his surname is spelled Ferry, F-E-R-R-Y, but um, it's Luke Ferry, I think, in French, and he is a Frenchman, and he wrote this book, A Brief History of Thought. Now, if you're struggling to sleep at night, you're welcome to come and see me, and I'll show you how to read this book. But um, it goes through all different thought processes from, from the Greeks through Christianity to where we are today. Very interesting book. And he gets to this bit that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Now, this guy's not a, not a Christian at all, but he's looking at it from a scholarly viewpoint, why the Greeks and the Jews and the Gentiles struggled with Christianity. And he says this in the book, and I'll put it up on the screen to show you how he described it. The idea, therefore, that the divine Logos was made man and that Christ, in this sense, is the Son of God, is unacceptable, as much for the Jews as for the Greeks. Unacceptable to the Jews because a diminished God who lets himself be put to death on a cross without defending himself seems contemptible. Unacceptable to the Greeks, too, because an incarnation as mundane as this diminishes the grandeur of the Logos as conceived by the wisdom of the ages of Stoic philosophy. So that's a scholarly view of what Paul is writing, but in very simple terms, a Jewish person then would say, how can God die? How does that work? A Greek person could say, how can God be a man? And so Paul has the same three choices, friends, that we have today. He can bury his faith and not talk about it. He can be offensive and upset people by the way he goes about it. Or he can share his message of the cross in a way that invites peace and invites people to consider what he believes to be true. That is the background to what Paul is doing. And I want us to see today different concepts but the same issue. 
Today, we in New Zealand are a secular nation. Today, we have people saying there, are, there is no God at all. That's the secular view. We have people today from Eastern religions who will tell us that everybody is a God. So we have different viewpoints of religion, but the way Paul tells us how to tackle it is exactly the same. And he tells us how we can do it with two simple ways, how we can share our faith with real integrity. Let me show you the two of them. I'll go through one by one. Simple transparency, the first way, how to share our faith, and then secondly, pointing to Jesus. So what do we mean by simple transparency? Let me tell you what Paul does when he says in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. The word uh, preach there could just as easily, the NIV translators could just as easily put proclaim. It's not the formal preach word, which was caruso. This is we proclaim Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is we talk about him, but not in an overly formal way. We we discuss him. Uh, we make it a natural discussion about Christ crucified, about Christianity. What does that mean for us? Well, it means for us today, when we proclaim and talk about it, it just shows what is inside. We as Christians, it's showing us not to hide what is inside. Um, how you make decisions in your life, let people see how you make decisions. How you deal with problems in your life, let people see as a Christian how you deal with problems. Let me give you an example uh, of, um, of an example of how we naturally can share, with simple transparency, share our Christian faith with other people. Um, in the old days, when my kids were little, it didn't cost me much to use them as a sermon illustration, but now it always costs me something. I always ask permission before I use any of the children with a sermon illustration. And this is an example that I want to share with you. Uh, my daughter, um, she uh, uh, she just come back from London. She uh, was got a job offered at the Tower of London, and they pulled the job because they had to close down the Tower of London because of COVID-19. And she, um, she loves Anne Boleyn. Now, some of you have no idea who Anne Boleyn is, but Anne Boleyn was one, I think I've got, no, I have got this right. She was one of the wives of Henry VIII. Henry VIII had six wives. She died as well. Everyone eventually does. <laughs> but, but, but the gentleman's right. She actually got her neck, um, without going into detail, she died in the Tower of London. Let's just go that far. I don't want to put you off your lunch. And, uh, and Beth, our daughter, loves... Anne Boleyn, loves Anne Boleyn, and loves the history about Anne Boleyn, and, and the rest of us in the family, oh my goodness. So Beth would be, or well, we would be talking about something like, um, one day I'd like to go to Germany and see the city of Berlin, and Beth would say, that reminds me, very similar, Anne Boleyn, I want to talk to you, mum and dad and kids, about Anne Boleyn, or someone might have a son who's born called Henry, and immediately Beth will say at the dinner table, Henry VIII. Uh, Anne Boleyn was one of his wives, and she'd start talking all about Anne Boleyn. We would try and listen, but we would fog over after 27 seconds. We'd say, oh my goodness, Beth, we love you, and I'm sure she's a wonderful lady, Anne Boleyn, but we just don't really care a whole lot about her. To which she gets offended and she talks more about Anne Boleyn. But, but the point of the story is, it naturally flows out of our daughter. Her love for history and love for Anne Boleyn just flows naturally out. And that is what Paul is saying for us to do. Proclaim it. Talk about it. Let it be natural. Let it flow out of your conversations. Two other examples, one famous and one not so famous. 
Here's the famous example of naturally just sharing Christ. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, us Kiwis love him, Lord of the Rings was filmed here, very famous, and Tolkien was the author of um, Lord of the Rings, and Tolkien lived in Oxford in the 1930s and the 1940s in the UK. And Tolkien was a Christian, but Tolkien had a mate called C.S. Lewis, and Lewis then was not a Christian. But Tolkien would naturally sit, you can actually go to the Eagle and Child pub in Oxford today and see where the group called the Inklings would sit and debate different things. And Tolkien would really talk to Lewis, he would call him Jack, he would talk to Jack about Christian things. But something very significant happened on the 20th of September 1931. Uh, um, Lewis and Tolkien went for a walk. Tolkien, the Christian, Lewis, the atheist, they went for a walk um, in Addison's Way, which is um, in Magdalen College in Oxford. You can still do the lovely walk today. Lewis started that walk not as a believer. He finished that walk as a brand new Christian. And he, um, he actually said he was the most reluctant convert in England that day. But he, he, uh, he, wrote, he said this in a quote. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. C.S. Lewis went on to write one of the classics of the Christian faith, Mere Christianity, that many of you will have read. And it was a predominant book for me that made me become a Christian many years ago. But what I'm trying to get across is that's a famous example of C.S. Lewis becoming a Christian through the efforts, just naturally, of someone like J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, of course, Tolkien and we all would say, well, it's God that works the miracle in Lewis's life. But it was Tolkien's faithfulness in his simple transparency. That's a famous example. Let me give you one not so famous that I heard about just in the last month here in this church. A, a young man um, was not a believer and he, um, he was working and he got to know this other young lady who was um, working at his same workplace. This is very, very current. And she, um, she, he knew she was a Christian, and he had to work a double shift one day. And so she, knowing that he wasn't getting a lunch break, uh, went out and got him food. Apparently he eats a hang of a lot, so she got him half a chicken and a whole lot of other food and brought it back. And she just gave him the food, and he said, well, what, can I pay you back? And she said, no, I just want to give it to you. Just enjoy your lunch while you can. Well, he, um, at the end of his second shift that day, he actually got $20 from his employer to pay for his lunch. And he went to this girl and he said, let me give you the $20. She said, no, I just wanted to do it out of the goodness. Um, you don't need to even give me $20. And he said to me just recently, he said, what sort of person would do that for me and show me such love? He said, it was examples like that of simple transparency that brought me to a saving knowledge of Christ. And that's an example. No one's ever going to hear that story apart from here, probably. He's probably not going to be a famous Christian like C.S. Lewis or Tolkien. But as an example of a natural transparency that Paul is talking about when he says, we preach, we proclaim Christ. That is how Paul models it for us to do when we're on this journey of life with different faith positions in our communities. But not only does Paul model that for us, he shows us the second thing as well. He simply points to Jesus. Notice he doesn't do a whole lot of huge theology. He simply says in that verse 23 we've just seen on the screen, he preaches Christ. That simple. Now let me show you, in doing that, he shows the genius of Christianity, just in what he says there. 
Every other religious system, every other faith position in the world says something like this. Here is the way that you must follow to get right with God. You must do the five pillars to get right with God. You must do the eightfold path to get right with God. You must do the ten noble truths to get right with God. You have to do the way, you have to do this to get right with God. And Thomas the disciple thought the same thing. And he comes to Jesus in John chapter 14, and he says the same thing as other religions. He says, what is the way, Jesus, that I get right with you, that I get right with God, that I get to heaven? Here is the question that Thomas asked in John 14, 5 and 6. He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. All other religions will tell us today and even back then, this is the way, the things you have to do to find God. Jesus is saying to Thomas and to us, I am God and I have come to find you. Christianity is him, not me. Every other religion is me getting to him. And that is the genius of Christianity. And what um, I often have conversations with people, maybe you do too, and they say, Tim, um, uh, we, we talk about Christianity, and they say, I believe I'm going to be right with God because I'm basically a good person. I'm trying to be a good person. And I think God will see that when I die and say, I tried hard, welcome to heaven. And I say to those people, I say, you know, um, I understand why you would say that, but I'm tired of trying to be good. I'm tired of getting on the treadmill of life, the exhausting activity of just trying to be a good person. Christianity says it is not our efforts, it is Jesus' goodness, not mine. Let me illustrate that in a different way. Imagine after church today, you go to Kmart, and you go into Kmart, and you buy uh, what it is you want to buy, and you get a receipt from Kmart, and you walk out, and the um, security person stops you and says, excuse me, I need to see proof that you have bought that thing you just bought. What do you do? You pull out the receipt and you show it to the security person and you say, trouble me not. Here is my receipt, proof of purchase. Christianity says Jesus is our receipt. It is through him we are made right with God. Many years ago, I traveled to Europe and went to see the Mona Lisa. And the Mona Lisa is in the Louvre Museum in Paris. It's a beautiful painting. And I was amazed that people could stay there for hours looking at the Mona Lisa painting. But now I understand why they spent hours looking at the stunning painting. The Mona Lisa is beautiful as art. And just like music and just like creation, when you walk to the top of the mountain, look down into the water and look at the view from the top of the mountain, when we see beauty as humans, beauty heals us, beauty shapes us, and beauty changes us. And it's the same with Jesus. When we point to him, people say, how does it work? How does it work, this Jesus thing? And we say, well, come and see. Come and see what his beauty is. We point to Jesus. And as we stare personally at Jesus, his splendor comes through to us and shines out to other people. So how, Paul, can we live in this society today with real integrity, with different faith beliefs? 
Two ways, simple transparency and pointing to Jesus. Third thing, why we can do it. And this is wonderful because we live in a world, in a country today, where tolerance is actually our national religion where we're told you must be tolerant of other people's beliefs. Do not share your faith with other people because that is deemed to be intolerant. But the Wilberforce Foundation, which is a Christian organisation in New Zealand, did a survey of us New Zealanders just a couple of years ago. And in the survey entitled Faith and Belief in New Zealand, here is what they wrote in relation to sharing our faith with people. It's very interesting. Let me read this to you. Kiwis are most likely to be attracted to exploring religion and spiritually further by by seeing firsthand people who live out a genuine faith. Three in five, 59%, suggest that this would either somewhat or strongly attract them to investigating religion and spirituality further. Friends, our fellow New Zealanders, many of them, are saying, if you live out your faith with integrity... I could be very interested in what it is you want to show me about your faith position. So we can do it because our country is asking us to do it, at least three-fifths of our country. But not only that, we can do it because it works personally and it works logically. Let me show you what I mean by personally, about not trying to hide our faith. Imagine with COVID-19 going on around the world that we as a church today say, we have found the cure to COVID-19. We found the antidote that you must take, and if you take that, you won't catch this this illness. Now, apart from the fact we'd be very rich, we would have everyone flocking to us with what we claim to be true. We found the vaccine that you need. Now, here's the thing. We could be right, or we could be wrong, but we're not narrow, and we're not intolerant by saying we believe we found the answer to something. And it's the same the Bible says with a bigger pandemic that is even going on with COVID-19. The Bible says there's a bigger pandemic, and it's called sin. And sin doesn't have a 2% death rate. Sin has a 100% death rate. And Christianity claims we have the answer to the biggest pandemic the world really does face, the problem of death through sin. So it's not intolerant for a Christian to say, we believe we have the answer. It may be right. It may be wrong. But personally, it's the only way with true integrity that we can share our faith when we naturally talk about it, pointing to Jesus. But not only personally does it stack up, but logically it stacks up to share our faith as well. Because we can uh, talk about our faith with people, and I've heard this comment, maybe some of you have heard this as well. Well, we think all faith positions are equal, and so we don't believe you should push your faith position because they're all equal and they all get to heaven And so don't talk about your faith. But logically, that collapses on itself. Because as soon as you say you should not talk about your faith position, that is a faith position. You're circling the argument, and you're still talking about your faith position in a different way. So what I'm trying to show you is why we can do it, because it works personally, and it works logically. Lastly, let me show you why it works for us. Why we can do it this way. And it comes back to that wonderful verse that Paul is talking about um, in in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians. The problem we have today, all around the world, but particularly in New Zealand, is you go on the internet and someone might put, there is a God. 
And someone else says, no, there is no God. There's no God at all. And so we shout at each other and we're angry with each other and we push back on each other. What do we do? What do we do to stop the shouting? What do we do to stop the acrimony which happens when we try and talk about our faith position? The answer, friends, comes back to that verse again, verse 18, for the message of the cross. What is the message of the cross? The message of the cross is that we are more sinful than we could ever have imagined, and yet we are more loved than we could ever have dreamed. And so here's the real question that I want to throw up for us to consider today. Whose truth claims, everyone's got different faith positions, whose truth claims are going to lead to peace, or whose claims will produce the ability to speak with love to those people who think differently? In all this society of acrimony, in all this situation of anger whenever people share their faith, what is the real truth claim that's going to mitigate some of that anger that is going on in our society? The answer again comes back to the message of the cross. Because here's the wonderful message of the cross. When we get this, it enables us to share our faith in a coherent way. First of all, the message of the cross takes you down. Because the message of the cross says to a Christian, the fact you are right with God is undeserved. It's nothing that you could have done to get right with God. The gap between God and you is too great. Your sin is too great. You can't get right with God on your own. And that takes you down because you know that you are being saved as undeserving. And that drives humility into our lives, into our everyday walk. It means when you're talking to your next door neighbor who might be secular and says there is no God, you're not going in and saying, I'm better than you. In fact, you might be going in and say, you know, as a parent, I've observed you over the fence. You're actually better than I am as a parent at the moment. You might be talking to a friend and say, you know, I observe you. You're actually more patient than I am. I'm working on it, but your patience is superior to mine. The message of the cross tells us and takes us down because it is totally undeserved and it drives humility in our lives. But the message of the cross does something else as well. The message of the cross lifts us up because it tells us that we are unconditionally loved. It tells us that when we muck up and we do muck up, God does not love us any less. We are loved despite all our failings. And that makes us bold and that make us, makes us sacrificial lover of people. You see, when we understand the message of the cross, this is how we learn to share our faith with real integrity and not hide it and not uh, be overt and offend people at the same time. Humility and boldness combined is a beautiful mixture when it comes to sharing our faith, and that comes from the message of the cross. So how do we share our faith? 2020 with real integrity. We do it through simple transparency, pointing people to Christ and living our lives naturally and showing how we make decisions. And we do it, friends, with humility because we know we are no better than that person next door, but we do it with real boldness because we know that we are loved unconditionally. And that makes us part of the solution because that takes our faith into our neighbourhood and makes us love people and not be proud and not be haughty and not be argumentative. 
but it comes in with a real position of love, saying, I'm no better than you are, but Jesus is the way I've got right with God. And it's all based on the message of the cross. Paul always finishes, uh, or often finishes, even in the middle of some of his letters in the New Testament, he writes these tremendous doxologies. You know, he just seems to, can't be able to help himself, and he launches halfway through his thought into something wonderful about Christ or about his salvation. I just want to finish with a simple doxology for us today. We are called to be witnesses into our community. That is clear cut. But the way we do it, we can do it with real faith and do it with real integrity. So here is the way we go about, and here's our doxology to finish today. Ready, steady, let's go. Let me pray. Father, um, we face situations today in our communities where people just have different faith positions than us. And it's so easy for us to hide it, or sometimes we can even be so dogmatic that we could be offensive. We don't want to be either of those things. We want to be a church that is in our communities, uh, showing our faith through natural transparency and through pointing people to Jesus. We know that we're not right with you because of our own goodness. We know we're right with you because of Jesus' goodness. And so we also know that you're the one who does the miracle in people's lives. And so help us to be faithful, help us to share in the right way. And then would you work the miracle in the people's lives so that they come to know you. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for the letter we call 1 Corinthians. Thank you for the example that he sets for us and how to live our lives. And work in us, we pray, Lord, as we attempt to do that this week and in the weeks ahead. Jesus, you fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we pray that we, out the beauty that comes from you might shine out through us so that others may see how beautiful you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.